Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Empowerment Hour. And this is Seema Kapoor, your host. And in today's episode, our guest is Nicholas Pearson. Nicholas is practitioner of Usi Reiki Reoho, as well as Jikidin Reiki. He is also author of five books. Four of them are in crystals, and one of them is in Reiki. It's called Foundations of Reiki Reoho, a Manual of Shodan and Okudan. Originally, we did this interview on Facebook broadcast, and then I uh, converted that into audio format and did some editing so that we also can listen to it as a audio if you want to download so I hope you will enjoy it and as usual let us know if there is anything we can do to improve the show please provide any feedback if you would like to be in the show or if you know someone who would like to be in the show please let us know subscribe to the podcast and um, we welcome feedback, criticism, praises, everything. So thank you so much and hope you enjoy the show. Hello. So sorry about the technological difficulties there. It's okay. It, it happens with everyone. <laughs> it's just, just so funny, you know. Um, I mean, I'm glad at least we, we got in like kind of right away. But usually I have to wait for like half an hour. Oh, goodness. So sorry. <laughs> how are you this morning? I'm great. How are you today? I'm great. It's it's very nice. It's a little <clears throat> chilly here in Arizona. Um, not like Florida. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've had some well, cold I nights, know. believe it or not. Well, I think our weather is maybe in some way similar, mm. um, but not humid. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, great. So, um, I have... Um, I'm very nervous. Maybe you can tell. <laughs> oh, don't be, please. <laughs> so, because this is like something new that I've been doing. Um, like, um, because I love talking to people, love new, you know, sharing and listening what their path has been. So, um, this is one of the one of the <clears throat> things I wanted to do. And I have your book right here that we would be also. Talk- oh, you have it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, and I have some of the notes that I jotted. I always write notes, but then I don't really look at them. It's funny. I'm the same um, way. <laughs> so, um, for because um, the show is slightly different than most of the um, Reiki interviews that maybe you um, have gone to, because this is. Uh, this is not just about I mean, this is not just about system of Reiki. Um, it's about empowerment life. So, in one regard, this is not about Reiki, but in the other, it's it's all about Reiki. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so, um, so a lot of our uh, listeners, viewers, they um, might not be Reiki practitioners. Mm -hmm. um, they are from different walks of life, but some of them are, you know, really curious. Obviously, what what Reiki is, um, because there are so many. Um, I don't want to use the myths, but in a way, it is. Right. Uh, and <coughs> excuse me. And <coughs> in Arizona, a lot of people are really um, um, connected with crystals and mineral world and stone. And I know you have done extensive work. Mm -hmm. And many books. I think you have written three books, and your fourth book is coming out. Correct? Yes. Um, is it? Yeah. So I've got five altogether: one on Reiki, three already on shelves about crystals, and my fourth one about crystals is coming out. Um, I'm actually thinking I'm going to get copies maybe next week, um, but it's officially out February 19th. That one's called Stones of the Goddess: Crystals for the Divine Feminine. Um, another another book that really deals with empowerment. Perfect, perfect, yeah. Because um, I thought there were three crystal books, and I, and I saw on your post that one is coming. Yes. And of course, this one is, uh, the, this one is um, specifically on system of Reiki. And so I actually want to kind of, we'll be talking a lot about empowerment and a lot about Reiki, but I kind of want to go all the way in the, in the way, in the beginning. Um, and that would be is, because I you started, uh, what I understand is, um, in your path started very early on. Mm, it did. And um, you're still young. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's all the Reiki and all the crystals. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so why I kind of wanted to ask you when, um, when exactly, um, you reached a point in your life where you thought, okay, I want to write a book. Because um, what I have known about people who, who write any kind of book, not just Reiki or crystals or any spiritual practice, um, something around them shifts, something around them change in their life, either during that time they are working on it or right after that, that they want to put themselves in such a, um, I would say, a vulnerable position because writing Absolutely. books is not, you know, you you are sharing a part of you in a way that you're passionate about. So how, what happened, you know, during that time that you thought, okay, I want to write a book? Well, you know, I've, I've been in the process of writing my first book uh, probably for maybe 14 years now. Uh, that book has never been written. Um, I started uh, shortly out of college. Um, I kind of had an unconventional uh, relationship with academia when I was in high school. I was in a very intensive program called the International Baccalaureate Program. Um, we 
we're kind of aimed at being the next generation of Renaissance people, um, you know, well-trained in the arts and the sciences and language and philosophy, and it's, it's quite heavy. And I switched from that to my focus on music when I went to Stetson University. And, um, you know, music has always been one of my earliest loves. I've played the French horn since I was 11. Before that, I studied clarinet and voice. So I've, I've just always been around music. And um, something very strange happened once I devoted my, lo my life only to music. Um, I realized how, how little joy I got from the study of it rather than just making music. And it was actually very disempowering to sit there and have this thing that I loved turn into something that was boring and lifeless. And I didn't, I didn't excel in the ways that many of my peers did. Um, you know, I was always a, a fairly good musician, but I, I didn't enjoy music theory and oral training and all the other things that we have to do as professional musicians. And while, you know, I, I got by, my grades are good, I was on the dean's list, um, I realized that getting that music education degree was going to uniquely qualify me to teach middle school or high school band for the rest of my life. And the thought of that made me want to walk into traffic blindfolded. Um, so I knew there had to be a change. Um, since an early age, I'd been involved with spirituality. I, I started a somewhat regular meditation practice, um, you know, in my early teens, maybe even a little before that when I was in middle school. And um, I'd been collecting uh, rocks and minerals since I was about eight years old. So we're going on almost 25 years now, a little over 25 years now of doing that. And, um, you know, while I was enrolled at Stetson, as, as chance would have it, if we believe in in such things. Um, I was uh, randomly assigned to work at an Earth Science Museum on campus as part of my um, federal work-study program um, to receive money towards tuition. And I didn't even know this museum existed. It was just there, and it was home to one of the largest uh, mineral collections in the southeast of the U.S., and it was just in my backyard. So once I finally figured out that's what this Gillespie Museum was, I, I marched myself straight down and, you know, pounded on the door, and it was after hours, so no one was there. So um, the first opportunity I went, I into the, the museum. I spoke to the assistant director and I was like, please let me work for you. I know I'm a little late, but what can I do? And I found such great joy there. Um, I'd always loved science. Um, that was going to be one of my, I had this toss up between studying music or science when I went away to college and I, I chose music. Um, that's where the, the stronger scholarship was going to be for me. Um, and I found a, a great program at a school that I really loved, but um, you know, I didn't, I didn't love being in that program. And it turns out that science was, was great for me up to a certain point. Uh, I ended up leaving school without finishing a degree um, and kind of studied at the School of Life. Um, around that time, I had taken my, my first initiation into um, first degree Reiki uh, in May of 2006. Uh, later that year, just towards the end of summer, I took uh, second degree. And um, that, that was something that got me through those times of transition. Um, I kind of had this temporary falling out with my family over leaving school. My whole world, my whole life changed. Yeah, when, when I left school. So, um, you know, part of it was a financial thing. I, I couldn't afford to go to a very fancy, um, you know, high-end pri yeah, private university. So um, I, I took another route. And I decided that since I'd loved minerals even before I loved music, I was going to do something with crystals and I was going to write. And I kept sitting down to rewrite outlines and change them and, you know, start a little bit of an intro there and then work on chapter seven. And then, you know, mm, you know, I have this other idea for a book and maybe I should just get that fleshed out and I can, I can like get things in the pipeline. And I, I never really 
committed to anything. I didn't really have the, the strength of will and the clarity of focus to carry through. Um, so in 2009, I went to Japan. And um, it's, it's a long story. I, I had considered immigrating there, but it was going to have to be a situation where I didn't qualify for a visa, so I was going to have to leave at least once every 90 days. And that wasn't going to work either. So um, I stayed for three weeks, and when I came back, I was sure that I was going to start writing. And I was going to support myself just by teaching workshops on spirituality, mostly about crystal healing. Um, in Japan, I received Reiki Master Initiation. When I came back um, to Florida, I also continued and finished my... Um, my uh, Shinpidan training with my original teacher, and um, I was ready to go out into the world and teach, and I fell flat on my face. Um, and it was one of those things that I really needed to do. I was worried about money. Uh, it was around the time of the recession, so people didn't have a lot of expendable income to invest in, you know, workshops of that nature. Um, because I was stressed about money, it kind of closed the gate to inspiration, and I was unable to focus on writing. So without producing a book, I didn't produce an income. Without producing an income, I couldn't produce a book. It was, it was a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy there. And um, I ended up working for corporate America. Um, I went into retail, um, you know, within a few weeks, began climbing the ladder, um, became general manager of uh, one of the flagship stores for Tivana Corporation, which is now part of Starbucks, and they don't, they don't have the retail anymore. But um, I remember how keen they were on empowering us to be leaders. It wasn't really just, you know, here are how you crunch numbers, this is how you hire and train people, go out and make numbers happen. Like there, there was definitely personal development there that I was not expecting. And it was really fulfilling until it reached a point that it just didn't fulfill me anymore. But it gave me the necessary skill set, the necessary confidence and, you know, the sense of self-worth that I could go and, and start writing. And maybe about six months before I left the company, I just had this idea that popped into my head. I remember it so vividly. I had a piece of obsidian, which is a natural volcanic glass, tucked away in my pocket. And I hadn't even left um, the, the parking lot of my apartment complex. I'd gotten in the car and started driving, and this idea of how obsidian is, is universal in the way that it's used among ancient cultures. It's you know shiny things and sharp things, the spear point and the mirror. And everywhere you go in the world, if people had access to obsidian, they did the same things with it. And so I pulled out my phone, I jot down this idea, and I tuck it away and go about my day. And sometime later, I thought, hmm, this is a fun idea. Why don't, why don't I turn it into something? And I sat down one sleepless night and turned it into an outline. And then I started to dream up other stones that had similar treatments, um, you know, similarly universal or archetypal in their roles throughout human history. And uh, my next day off, I just sat down in front of the computer, nothing better to do with my life, and I started writing. And for the first time, writing was effortless, just totally effortless. Within 10 days, I had that first chapter done. Um, you know, a couple of gaps where I needed to insert some exercises and meditations, but I wanted to do the inner work before I presented those. And um, I thought, hey, I think I'm going to write this book. It's, it's not at all what I planned on. It doesn't resemble any of the things I'd worked on in many years past, but um, I, I really felt incredible joy with that. So I continued, and... Um, you know, it took about a year and a half to finish that. I left my job in corporate America. I took a big leap of faith. And uh, I met my publisher while I was on the road as a sales rep selling, you know, products in the body, mind, spirit market. And um, the, it was just a match made in heaven. Once I finished that book, the floodgates opened, and it's been real joyful ever since. And, um, you know, some of them come very quickly. There are two books I've written in about a month each. And then, then came my Reiki book, which took a lot more than, than that. Um, it was a, a great big labor of love. But um, 
when I found my voice and it took a lot of personal development out in the world. I had to feel um, confident. I had to feel ready. And I just didn't have the skill set the first time. I, I wasn't properly empowered, you could say. Um, but once I had that and I'd, I'd learned to do the work on behalf of another organization, you know, corporate America, I could, I could do it for myself. And that's really when things changed. And I, I decided in that moment that I was going to make a career out of this. And it's just been like the universe has conspired to help me ever since. Right. Yeah, your intent was there and you're working at it. I mean, it's, it's really interesting because I, that you, that you, you know, you mentioned that your book actually, you didn't wrote your book until actually you did um, you receive initiation and system of Reiki and you, you had like changes in your life and you went to Japan and inner work, even though you probably didn't thought you were doing inner right. work. But was pushing you. Okay, do it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, because I, I originally thought, hey, maybe you, you know, because a lot of people think, okay, they, um, this person wrote book number one, two, three, boom, boom, boom. It's all straight, straight, straight. Um, and but the, it in reality, it doesn't, it doesn't really happen that way. You know, Not maybe at all. one time, you know, you wrote one book or one, you know, one project. But if we are really working and really going deeper in it. I mean, you can write um, four or five books unless you are in it, you know, right. um, deep in it. Um, so my question was that and you answered all that already because it's like what I'm hearing is, you know, like it, it was not like really anything external. I mean, like you, mm. you didn't feel empowered when you first went out to teach or you first went out to um, do these traditional degrees in music or other, you know, mm -hmm. you felt empowered. You didn't, didn't felt it's you. you know? um, and then you started to have these changes. So my, um, so this is where my next question really would be is that, you know, a lot of people, like when they, um, I mean, I, it's within our, you know, in a community also and you know or sometimes people who are not into this when they see a crystal a rock i have one here um they think it's a very ex it's a very external tool you know right. very external you put that in your pocket you know and you put that near your laptop boom it's it's magic it's done but, but we know that it's, it takes some in our work to do it, you know, especially with you, you know, like you were sharing. It just one, I mean, it, it was not a coincidence. You were mm. working at it and the universe helped you. So what, how, what would you say, you know, I mean, you teach also, right? Um, Absolutely. So how... Uh, how do you incorporate this um, important element in your teachings? Because I'm sure when the students come, if they are really beginner, they might be looking for something. Okay, I'm going to get this knowledge and then boom, 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 I'm going to use these crystals which do X, Y, Z and I have it. <laughs> right. Um, you know, this is one of the biggest obstacles in like the field of crystal healing in general. Um, 
as as it becomes more globalized, as as it becomes more normalized and accepted by a greater part of society, you know, especially with the sort of Western mindset, which is you know very consumerist, um, you know, very materialist. They they want to possess an object that fixes their lives rather than realizing that this is a catalyst. Yes, it helps, yeah. but it's only helping you do the work you have to do anyway. Um, and we kind of get into this mindset of prescriptive crystal use, where people think that if I carry this piece of malachite, it's going to heal this thing in my life. And that's, that's not really what's happening. So the, the biggest thing that I try to get across, in, especially in all of my basic workshops, but I, I, I really endeavor to make this happen in, in my writing, in my teaching, um, in interviews, anywhere that I can, that um, the real work is happening in here and the real authority is in here. It's, it's not in anything I write or anyone else writes. That's kind of counterproductive as an author. You, you want book sales. Um, but at the same time, I, reading my book is no substitute for doing the inner work. We have to show right. up for our appointment, whether, whether that's with crystals, whether that's with Reiki, whether that's with aromatherapy or sound healing or psychotherapy. Um, you know, we have to, whatever our route is going to be to heal, we have to show up and we have to put in an effort. And we can't do that if we don't feel empowered in the first place. So um, I like to think of my approach as um, being very educational and formative, especially drawing a lot from my, my science background. Um, but you know, at the same time, that's just a bridge to understanding what what mechanisms are at play when it comes to the spiritual reality of, of our practice, whether it's with crystals or Reiki or, you know, anything else again. So, um, you know, ultimately, we, we use these external tools as mirrors. They show us what's happening under the surface. And that was the big thing I got when, when I had that magical piece of obsidian tucked in my pocket that day on my way to work. <laughs> right. Um, you know, obsidian has shown up time and time again, polished into mirrors and spheres and other reflective surfaces. And they don't reflect full color things. You know, people didn't look into a piece of obsidian to apply makeup um, because you don't see, you know, a beautiful image in true color. You see the sort of ghostly echo of yourself. Um, it is a reflection of your own inner shadow. And it's a metaphorical reflection as much as it is a literal one. Um, but crystals of all sorts are very much like that. They reflect to us what's happening below the surface. I think with Reiki, we get to the same place by engaging in our practice mindfully. We can, we can tune out the noise of the world and hear what's in our hearts, in our minds, um, underneath the, the conscious mind. And that allows us to have this really profound experience of what we really are, not, not what we're doing but what we are. And that's where real empowerment comes from. Exactly. You know, I mean, I, you know, I always <clears throat> also, sometimes I tell my students in, um, in, in general, like when a lot of times we go from one technique to another technique or another certification, we learn with this teacher, that mm. teacher and all that. And we say, wow, we had, you know, experience and we felt this, 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 but, um, so we rely on those external tools, but but I but I think the experience happened not because of the tools. Experience were already there within us. They were already there. We those tools are just to help us to make visible. Like you you are giving that example of obsidian. You know, like see that shadowy ghosty image, and then you do the inner work. So slowly that image is becoming clearer and and, and clearer. You know, you see those. I, I really like that metaphor of, of obsidian. You know, kind of see mm. 
you know those shadows you know your like uh, colors of yourself you know, in reiki also you know um so coming back to reiki you know um uh, i <laughs> i have to come back on reiki my favorite subject so uh, when did you decided you want to write a book on reiki i mean from crystal to reiki um what happened i mean and, and of course this book is a, a manual of shodan and okudan and generally um people i mean write manuals for classes but you mm-hmm. wrote a full on it um yeah what was your inspiration for it so <laughs> you know it really started because the the deeper my research and my practice with reiki has gone the the less my classes have aligned with the available manuals that are out there um you know for a long time i was using one of the most popular reiki manuals um by william rand and then i would print out this stack of papers to give to my students that would supplement that with additional research and some of the other things that we would work on in class and it stuck up bigger and bigger and bigger and i thought why am i giving them someone else's manual and then yeah. pieces of a manual that i'm probably going to have to write at some point um and while rand's book is so accessible and um you know is, is very successful for that reason i needed something that reflected the heart and soul of my practice and the the sort of path that i was hoping i could inspire my students to set themselves upon with the catalyst of reiki and so i i figured i wanted to collect all that and put it in one place um and then you know have all the historical research that I wanted to include um part of it was for the economy of time if if it's all written in one spot then I don't have to say it out loud in class and we can spend more time on practice a lot that's great in theory it hasn't happened in class yet <laughs> we still talk way too much um because I I am so uh, passionate about um the understanding of history and the development and sort of spiritual context of reiki because if we understand those things from the past we know where it's going to carry us into the future um and um but it it really became apparent when i sat down and wanted to to write something in depth about um byosen um byosen for those who aren't familiar is a concept we use in traditional japanese reiki that has begun to emerge in western reiki more and more and the, the words together byo means sickness or illness um like we call a has- hospital in japanese a byoin a, a sick place literally a place you go when you're sick we call um uh illness byoki sick energy the same key that's in reiki and um so byosen means like a lump or an accumulation of byo or illness um in other words it is the the sort of energetic place that illness begins and this can be in the physical body could be in the non-physical body it could be something that's related to our heart mind something to our soul something related to you know diet exercise injury you know pathogens um that there are these sort of echoes that we feel with our hands when we practice reiki and the sensations are all different um when i enrolled in the jikiden reiki seminars a few years back um i really got a better understanding from a practical scenario of byosen than i ever did from reading books and just kind of observing from afar um and uh you know i really wanted to compile my experiences as well as my research on Byosen into one place to give to my students so we could spend more time on it in class. And it was like a 7-page handout that everybody got and um that that eventually turned into a whole chapter of of the book. And that was really the first chapter that I'd begun even though it wasn't at that point a book yet. Um that's when I knew I think there's something to this and I need to I need to start putting together a a clearer picture of how I want my Reiki classes to look. So um you know as I worked on the class outline and refined it more and more that became the working outline for the book and um you know 
it, it eventually came together. It took a lot of doing, but it eventually came together. Yeah, it, it, uh, when you were talking about biosyn, I was, I was laughing because in my mind, because this, this is, I have written that mm. in my notes that I would be asking you, <laughs> it's so funny, um, because um, this is one of the things which is, I know is, uh, is a bit different than some, I mean, because we're not going to be talking about schools here, but right. specific for uh, Jicket and Reiki. And um, so I kind of wanted to, to ask, talk about a little bit, and I read your chapter too, you, know, um, you have a full chapter for, for listeners by this book, uh, there's lots of information, uh, some about history and uh, where the symbols come from, and uh, not just the symbol, symbol, but the history behind it, um, and traditional Reiki techniques and some non-traditional Japanese Reiki techniques are there, um, and you have went into depth in that as well. What I actually also like is that you have a guide uh, for how to uh, pronounce uh -huh. certain sounds, <laughs> um, you know, in a some Japanese names and how to pronounce the, those alphabets, which is which is really good because it's it's very beneficial to people. Because I remember when I first started um, practice of Reiki, and I was like, "What? It sounds it sounds like this, but it doesn't, you know." <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Um, so it has a lot of useful information, you know, how, um, and it's, um, how, how to, and to understand, uh, that system of Reiki is not just hands-on healing, it's not just external. Right. And you have talked a lot about, in this, about inner work, um, that system of Reiki, you know, just like crystals, um, it's about self-empowerment. And... Um, I know personally for me, my life completely changed when I started practicing system. I mean, I have learned in two lineages, um, and it started to make so much more sense and difference in empowerment when I started doing coordinating traditional Japanese perspective medications. Um, with you, um, how, I mean, because I know in your book also you have added a lot of other aspects of it which are non-traditional, you know, like using crystals and Reiki um, and because uh, you, you know, you teach uh, crystals also and you have done a lot of work. How do you, um, I mean, I'm coming back to the same thing. How do you, you know, um, present that in when you teach your students about Reiki and crystals that it's not don't look at it as something which is which is bigger than you in a way you know because yeah. um, I, I personally you know see this a lot um, um, to to see these practices as modalities which are external um, so since you work on both aspects of crystals and Reiki both I'm, mm. I'm, I'm is how you merge them together. <laughs> you know, I, I get asked this question a lot, and the, the honest truth is that I, I don't often combine these two modalities, um, at least not 
overtly in my practice. Uh, you know, once we are initiated to Reiki, if we make it part of our everyday practice, then no matter what we're doing, Reiki is there to support us from the inside as well as from the outside. And so when I'm, you know, engaging with my, my stones, Reiki is there at least in the background. Um, when I see clients, um, which admittedly is few and far between these days um, because of my, my teaching schedule, um, I, I rarely combine crystals and Reiki into a single session unless it's by request or um, if it's a client I know very well. And um, part of that is out of respect for both systems. I think they're both wonderful and complete traditions and one does not require the other. In today's uh, kind of greater new agey community, uh, Reiki has oh. become almost synonymous with energy healing. And so Reiki okay. has, has lost its foundation, which is the, mm -hmm. the spiritual tradition, the lineage, the form of practice. Its identity has been sort of absorbed into just energy healing in general. And so you can practice energy healing without any sense of structure or, or deeper meaning, and it is effective. And, um, you know, I don't mean to um, impinge upon people's practices that, that work that way. If it's working for you, keep doing it. But if we really want to get to know Reiki, we have to kind of peel back the, the veneer of that Western materialist mindset. We have to go back through history. We really need to understand where Reiki came from because it's the only way we can understand what it's really doing. That, that's similar to how I work with the mineral kingdom. Um, you know, when we talk about crystals in the greater New Age community, um, it's very reductive. We tend to start with color, um, and sometimes we don't go much farther than that, and that's unfortunate. Uh, if we look at, like, the, the, the physical um, aspect of stones, their, their actual makeup, formation, all this other stuff, if we just measure the, the measurable energies that come off of them, and of course there are unmeasurable things that science can't quantify yet, we can, we can hardly qualify them in a subjective sense, so it's hard to be objective and measure them. Um, but if we just through that, look through that objective lens, color is about 1 14th of all of the energy a crystal emanates. So 1 14th of what this piece of malachite does is defined by its greenness, and 13 14ths are defined by other things. It's chemical composition, it's formation type, it's crystal structure, the crystal system of it, um, the, you know, the specific gravity, the hardness, all of these other things that come from the material science, the, the mineral science side of it is, is important to know. Um, because if we understand those things, we can see what the deeper mechanism is. We start to understand the how and the why, not just the what is the end result. Because when two people mm -hmm. pick up the same stone, even the same exact specimen of it, they're likely to get two different responses, two different effects because they don't understand the mechanism. And so they go, well, you know, obviously this is more subjective than it is objective. And while that's true to a certain degree, um, you know, I really want to be as, um, you know, almost clinical and scientific about it as we can be. You know, obviously this is not a science yet. Um, but when we, when we examine the underlying mechanism, we can predict what the outcome is going to be. And the reason it's different is because we have different baggage. If I apply, apply the same tool to two different scenarios, I will get two different results because they're, they're different scenarios. Um, and I think that's what's happening with, you know, kind of Reiki in, in the, the grander sense, where if we absorb it into just a form of energy healing and lose the spiritual system, um, it becomes very soft. And one of the gifts of Reiki is that it's very malleable. Um, it adapts to um, the culture and the circumstance, and that's what's made it thrive. You know, there are millions of Reiki practitioners today in the world, and in 1922, there are about 2,000. So, uh, I'm sorry, 1926, there are about 2,000. So that's, that's a long way to come in less than 100 years. So um, I, I think we have to appreciate its adaptability 
but by the same token, I think we can honor Reiki by understanding where it's come from. And um, to do that, we have to look at the culture of Japan. To a certain degree, we have to examine the language of Japan, even if it's just a few vocab terms that are important to Reiki. Um, and so, um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I do. And while in the book, you're going to see ways to combine Reiki with other modalities, they are representative of sort of a sampling of best practices that have evolved as Reiki has evolved. Um, but I start with the foundation of where Reiki's come from. So yes, there are a couple exercises that use crystals, and there are going to be exercises that use the, the symbols in very non-Japanese ways. There are going to be exercises that use other external tools um, because they work. And, and I want people to know that what they're doing is working, and they should continue to use that, especially if we're engaging in any sort of clinical therapeutic practice, whether that's through traditional Reiki or non-traditional Reiki or crystals or color therapy um, or you know anything along those lines. We, we have to remember that um, you know, efficacy is the measure of truth. So um, you know, we have to have some way to measure our results. And that's where a lot of these things have come from. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I kind of wanted to, I was curious, that's why, I mean, I'm glad you said that. When I um, was initiated in Reiki, it was 2005, and it was very much like include everything kind of a thing, you know, yeah. you use a crystal, you know, box and pyramids and whatnot and all those things. And, um, and at, a, at one point, it was really about crystals. I didn't necessarily practice, so it was not like I was laying crystals, you know, mm -hmm. in the session. Um, but that idea was kind of uh, didn't didn't sit well with me, you know. Like if I would do crystal, it would be just crystals. It would be Reiki, Reiki. And I remember um, then at one one point. I asked this question to one of the Reiki. Well, no, there is nothing wrong. But if I'm going for a Reiki session, if somebody will start laying crystals on me, I don't think I'm gonna like that, you know. So it's it's like um, um, so like you said, there is no judgment, you know, nothing in that. It just that I think if we know where, like you said, where system of Reiki has come from, and what are the roots, because I think a lot of people don't know that mm. or you know even intellectually i mean of course first we need to understand intellectually and we have to um, practice it you know to really embody it but i think intellectual part is important because if we don't understand we're not we're we are kind of, we don't have our wings to fly in a way um so i i like that you you kind of you know say that this is crystals this is Reiki. Hmm. They don't need to to combine them. They are complete in itself. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, you know, if I will pick up this stone, I'm gonna. My feelings are also my. What I'm gonna feel is is also going to be very subjective. What what I will experience and what it will do to me, you know, it will be also different in a way. You know how I am. Um, then I will. Then coming back to Biosen, I am I'm coming back to that again. Um, how how that is because that is also in a way is very subjective. Like if somebody is going to be, you know, the, the how we perceive certain yeah. sensations. Um, I mean, 
I guess I'm trying to understand how how we can how we can even like classify it right. in a forum that this is it for everything, you know. Right. This is it for because we have one aspect which is very subjective mm-hmm. for people experience. Um, so I'm kind of really um, curious about that. <laughs> sure. Um, um, you know, this is a really important thing that I try to get across in my first degree classes, too. Um, in in the book, I, I talk about the five traditional degrees of intensity that we, we talk about in, in um, Byosen. Um, and these categories were really fleshed out by Hayashi Sensei um, and um, in his school of practice, which has carried on through, you know, um, the Jikiden Reiki Institute and other people who, you know, can trace their lineage back through um, Hayashi, even in the early days when uh, Takata taught um, in um, Hawaii first and later North America, there was indication that she really understood his depth of understanding of Byosen in these five categories. Um, but although we might talk about the first degree of intensity as being warmth and the second one being heat and then tingling, um, those those are relative terms. The the Byosen itself, I think, is an object of reality. That, that accumulation of toxic energy or patterns or imbalance in general is there. How our bodies interpret it, the, the language, the energy speaks to us, has to be translated through our filter. And our personal filter might, might say that, you know, you know I, I almost feel like a magnetic sensation instead of a tingling one. I might feel a cool breeze instead of um, heat. Um, but I think the, the, the five categories themselves are still traceable once we kind of get a sense of what our own subjective language is going to be. And more often than not, it follows a pattern pretty similar to what Hayashi laid out. Um, you know, they, in, in the Dento Reiki, the, the original Reiki of the Usui Reiki Ryoho Gakkai, the society that Usui founded, um, they, they did not really use these different degrees of intensity. They used very subjective language to describe Yosen, um, and to avoid anything that sounded quasi-medical, they actually began to replace the word hibiki, which means pulsing or throbbing, um, and it also means echo, um, in lieu of byosen, because with that, that character byo, meaning illness, it, it does sound almost medical. So um, they, they began to use the two interchangeably, and that has persisted um, in a lot of systems that are, are still extant in Japan, um, especially those that have been influenced by Western Reiki in the later days. Um, like hybrid systems, like uh, Gendai Reikiho, um, Doi Sensei's form of practice. And, um, you know, the idea is to just treat until the sensations begin to dissipate or, or lessen in intensity, which is very different than here are 12 standard hand positions. You treat here for five minutes and here for five minutes and so on and so forth, whatever the pattern might be that you learned. Um, um, it's also very different than you know, um, other systems that are really heavily influenced by the New Age, which use other forms of diagnostic tools. With Byosen, I love it because we learn to listen to the intelligence of our bodies and our hands, as well as the intelligence of our, our clients' bodies and energy fields. And it takes the ego out of it. Um, I'm not prescribing. I'm not saying, oh, I'm listening to you talk. I'm watching your body language. This is where I will treat. I might observe those and say to myself, more than likely, this will be a good place to put my hands. But then it's just my role to be the passive observer and see what happens, to, to watch the rise and fall of Biosen because it kind of moves like the tides and to see how intense it gets or how not intense it gets. Um, and if we, if we do nothing more than observe that and be present and, and still in Reiki, um, sessions are never boring because they're never the same. Um, 
you know, my, my Byosin in my left knee will be different than my Byosin in my right shoulder, which will be different than the Byosin in my sinuses. Um, and my Byosin anywhere in my body will be different than that of, you know, my friends, my family, my clients. So um, it, it can be a really wonderful kind of um, backdoor entrance to mindfulness. If we just trick ourselves into believing I'm watching Byosin because it's important, we we stop paying attention to the noise of the world, the noise of the conscious mind, and we start to be more present just with Reiki. And that's really where the miracle of healing happens. So, um, yes, it's very subjective, but at the same time, I think there's some sort of objectivity to it that um, transcends the, the, the sensations that we all have. And those sensations will be, you know, filtered by our, our personal baggage. Yeah, I, I like about being in the present and mindfulness. I, I get that. Um, because... A lot of times we, you know, that makes sense. A lot of times when we do Reiki session, I, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, all about relying on external tools again. Okay, mm. let's put this in hands, let's put this music on um, so that our, you know, we are in this <laughs> mind here, not mind, mind, but head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and if, we are not really with our client and in the present moment, um, how we can facilitate, so to speak, you know, how, how where our energy is going to be. And so I think it's a, it's a very good tool um, for the, for the, at least for the, you know, also for the beginning, you know, right learning the importance of being mindful um, and where to start because it's not like um, I you know I often hear this oh Reiki is very intelligent energy you put your hand it will go wherever it wants to go but but it's not that simple in a way it is simple but it's not Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, because it's, it's not like you put your hand and you are watching TV or something and you are not really mindful and because it's, it's, it's not, you're really giving, you're really giving power again to that external element which you think Reiki is outside of you and um, traditional um, definition, I mean, I know you have written in the book too and I will um, ask you about that. The meaning of Reiki, you know, a lot of people that Reiki is universal. Like, oh. Right, right. And I, and um, you have um, um, translated, you know, about Reiki. Maybe I should have asked that question first. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, yeah. This is one of my favorite Reiki oh. myths. Um, you know, Reiki means universal life force or universal life energy. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty much the key character. Yeah. So, you know, we have these two kanji, lei and ki. So ki mm-hmm. is life force whether it's universal or not, it's still all right here. So we're neglecting to translate this character at all when we talk about this idea of universal life force. I mean, key is omnipresent in the universe. It is universal. Um, It's in you, it's in me, it's in the phone I'm using to talk to you right now. Um, So um, that lay part is a little bit more elusive, and it represents something that is numinous and ineffable and, and therefore very hard to put into writing. If we look at a standard Japanese or even a Chinese dictionary, because the, the character appears in both languages, um, you know, nuanced meanings, but ultimately you know, Japan's written system is you know, owed to China in the first place. So um, the, the earliest meanings of this character 
represent something like soul or spirit. It can also mean ghost or a supernatural creature, you know, like an elf or a goblin or something along those lines. Uh, lei can reflect something that is shining or bright or intelligent. Um, Ray can mean something that is ancestral, something that is effective. Um, and so I think all of these are descriptors that we can use to understand what Leiki is, but they are not necessarily definitions of Leiki. Um, you know, Usui-sensei was not the first person to put the two kanji, Lei and Ki, together. Um, we have evidence of that existing in ancient China about 5,000 years ago. Um, they would pronounce it differently, Lingqi. Um, but, you know, ultimately we're talking about a soul-based or a soul-driven energy, something that is aimed at the true nature of us, which is not this material sense, you know, this is not materially guided life force energy, it is a spiritually derived, spiritually guided life force energy. Um, so, Leiki, thus, is, is innately spiritual. It is universal because, you know, spirit is one with the universe, it is one with creator, it is everywhere. It is intelligent in as much that it needs no external directive. Um, you know, if we translate Lei as meaning bright or sharper or smart, um, then obviously Leiki itself doesn't need us to say, I am directing the energy to the third cervical vertebrae because there is a bruise just about, no, we, we don't have to do any of that. We just have to be present. Um, and then, um, you know, Leiki is effective because it works on that soul level. It's treating the cause rather than the symptom. Um, and so if we understand Leiki from this lens, then it starts to maybe recontextualize our practice. Um, you know, just because Leiki is soul-driven and goes straight to the core doesn't mean that if someone has a knee injury, we're going to put our hands on their head and say, okay, great, it's going to take care of the knee. It's like taking a, a drop of dye and putting it into a big glass of water and waiting for the dye to, to reach the whole glass. Eventually it will get there, but how long will it take, and how diffuse will it be by the time it reaches where we need it to? So if someone's got a knee injury, I put my hands on the knee. If someone has, you know, an, an out-of-balance uh, emotion, maybe I'll treat the head directly or the heart directly, or if it's manifesting in a physical symptom, maybe I'll uh, and treat the physical symptom directly. But, you know, the, the goal is, with our practice, um, where bringing people back into awareness of that innate spiritual reality, that, that lay-driven part of us. Um, and that's where our true self resides. And if we come into contact with that, if we become more aware of it in our day-to-day -day lives, that's where we derive our true sense of empowerment. And I think that's why Reiki is so successful, even, even in spite of ourselves. When we come to Reiki as a therapeutic practice, a, a clinical tool, and, and energy medicine, and nothing else, it gives us that sense of our true presence and um, we experience that sense of personal development and empowerment even when we don't mean to yeah so reiki you know you mentioned reiki you know like it's it's a, it's something we have in our daily lives um coming back daily lives and about the meanings and all that i another thing which is also very very um, confusing and it really steers stuff in people is the Reiki precepts. Yes. Um, about their <laughs> translation and um, I speak, you know, I'm, I'm from India originally and most people from India, they are not like necessarily linguists, mm -hmm. you know, but they know at least two languages, you know, right. at least two. Um, that's minimum. Um, it's just cultural aspect. And um, my English is not very really good. It's okay. But I have to so many times 
translate translate because I like poetry and other things. Yeah. So I sometimes translate some aspects of it, and having done that, I do I know that how hard it is to translate. Mm. Um, because if we translate word by word, it it does not. Sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Right. And and sometimes even if it makes some sense it doesn't really convey it because that language i see language has a tone even though it's written i, I see there is a, a tone in it mm-hmm. there is some energy if you think about energy you know so that is something if you are translating you have to add some of it if you really want to um, make the point across you have to say some of your own words in it and your mm-hmm. own interpretation in it, uh, which of course is subjective, I get that. But at the same time, if you don't do it, it just doesn't make sense. So Reiki precepts, you know, it, it's, it, I, I think it's even more harder in that way because they are not just straight, you know, they're just... Right. <laughs> And so many times, um, I'm sure that you have heard so many times, you know, people say, oh, I don't like this, so I don't like this word, or I don't like no, mm-hmm. so I'm just going to make it and change it around so that it will suit me. Um, so what, what, do you, what do you want? Because I know in your book you have several translations. Yes. <laughs> different authors. So how do, so, you, how do you say, you know, tell your students about that? <laughs> Well, you know, I think because um, the energy of Reiki versus the system is something that is universal and omnipresent, um, it it supersedes the necessity for language. You know, when we have a direct experience of Reiki within us, like we do during the attunement or initiation or leiju or empowerment or whatever other word we're going to use for that um, ritual, um, we we can't put that into words. But in order to make Reiki concrete and allow us to um, formalize some sort of structure that gives us a sense of practice so we can chip away at all the blockages to our, our true sense of empowerment, our true understanding of our spiritual identity. We, we need these external tools. And all of those external tools are going to direct things right back inwards if they're working correctly. And that is like the heart and soul of what the precepts do. Um, my very first Reiki teacher, uh, Patricia Williams, um, was so adept at at showing her love and her profound appreciation for the precepts. We spent a lot of time on it in Reiki 1. Um, and um, you know, she is half Japanese, so this kind of gave her um, a, a tether to her an- ancestral spiritual tradition, even though she wasn't necessarily raised Shinto or Buddhist or anything along those lines. There was sort of a, a cultural, spiritual connection that she felt and she shared that with us and it, it really took root in me so uh, i'm very passionate about the precepts um i happen to be really nerdy if you haven't noticed yet um i'm a big old nerd i love languages um i speak four i speak two of them very terribly one pretty well and then i speak english so um uh japanese is one of those four languages and um in about 2007 2008 i started to teach myself japanese properly I went to Japan in 2009, totally unprepared for how regular people speak in day-to-day life. I, you know, I could speak like a textbook teaches you to speak, and therefore I didn't do so well. Um, but uh, in, in the ensuing years, it's been almost 10 years since my trip to Japan, my, my language skills have, um, you know, kind of 
gone like this. Um, they've gone into moments of atrophy and moments of being more proficient. And right now I'm, I'm climbing towards proficiency again because I'm working at it. And I have a few friends who are um, speaking to me conversationally, even just little bits. Um, when I wrote the book, I learned a lot of uh, kanji, a lot of vocab words that uh, were, were relevant. Um, and although I didn't do a whole lot of big translating by myself, I defaulted to people who had already done that work and then compared that to my understanding of, of like the the, the language yeah. and the primary resources, um, or I enlisted people for, for help, um, and then kind of finessed things with my understanding of the context. Um, the the Gokai is something that I sat down with very early on with more than one Japanese dictionary um, and tried to get a deeper understanding. And, uh, you know, the, like any language, um, there are many layers of meaning in Japanese. And it's, it's hard to just look at something on the surface level and string up uh, a bunch of um, translated words together and have it make any sense. So, um, you know, I always try to invite my students to practice them in Japanese because there's a soul in those words. We call it kotodama, literally the spirit of words, or the soul of words, um, that uh, is unique to Japanese. Um, and the, the gakkai, the original society, believes in this soul of the words so strongly that to you know cleanse themselves as well as the external space they literally just chant or recite them out loud and it has such a profound effect on us in our environment that you know we, we enter this clean space um so it's it's kind of like a, a form of misogi like a an oharai or um cleansing practice yeah. spiritual cleansing so um yeah. you know we practice that in in my classes um we, we do that in Japanese. Every time I do a Reiki circle or Reiki share, I recite them in Japanese at the beginning. Um, even for people who are not practitioners, I think there's beauty in those words. Um, mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, we have to tell people what they mean, right? So um, yeah. uh, it's, it's something that I don't think I will ever be satisfied with a translation of. Um, whether it's mine or someone else's. And that's why there are so many in this book. I, I used more than one version that came from Takata and then her generation of students that she initiated as teachers so we could look at the language that they were all exposed to and they developed, you know, people who had been practicing a very long time. Uh, I looked at translations of scholars and notable practitioners like Faustina um, and, and others so that way we could see um, how their their practice has informed their understanding of the precepts. Um, but, um, you know, I think maybe before talking about the translation work anymore, maybe we should say what they are for those who are not Reiki practitioners already. Um, so in Japanese, the, the precepts start with this little title, and then they end with some instructions, and the sort of heart and soul are the, the five precepts. And we call them gokai, which means five admonitions. The word admonition is very strong. You know, it's not just a suggestion. I think these are five good things for you to do. It's like, no, really, do these things. Trust me, your life will be better. Um, so um, altogether, the document reads, Shofuku no hiho, manbyo no reyaku, kyo dake wa, ikaru na, shinpai suna, kansha shite, gyo o hageme, hito ni shinsetsu ni, ase yu ga shoshite, kokoru ni nenji, kuchi ni tonayo, shinshin kaisan, usui reyoho, choso usui mekao. Um... And just so I give you the exact translation that's in the book, I've got it open to that page so I don't deviate at all. Um, but more or less, um, the title reads, The Secret Method of Inviting Good Fortune, The Spiritual Medicine of All Illness. Today only, anger not, worry not, be grateful, be diligent in your work, be kind to people. Um, and then the instructions at the end say, morning and evening, do gasho, you know, put your hands in the prayer position, 
Hold these in your heart and chant the principles aloud. Um, heart, mind, and body improvement. Usui Reiki Ryoho, which means the Usui Reiki healing method. Um, founder, Usui Mikawa. Um, and, you know, the, the rest of the chapter on the precepts is devoted to going line by line and understanding what, what the kanji actually mean. There's, there's so, so many layers to the meaning that um, we really have to look at what... Um, what language is used to write them to know what Usui really was trying to plant. Um, and they're, they're so beautiful. They really are. They are, they are so beautiful. I, mean, I just love precepts. Um, I first really started writing. It was just so funny. And, you know, my teacher, because at that time I was learning Christina, and you know, he said, okay, you know, you work on one precept for a month, and second month you work on two, and there you go. I said, okay. <laughs> so when um, I remember, I didn't really experience anything with symbols or mantra or anything. It was just the first time I just uttered those words, something happened, like right then. What, what, how simple words can do such a thing? It yeah. was just not mine, it was energetically. Stuff was happening, um, and um, and and then I could, uh, because I was beginner, I could tell every month because I was just like, what? What's happening? Every month I could really see the different layers of each precept since I was working separately on each of them. Absolutely. Um, and so it's not it's not about the word no, as you say. You know, it's not about oh, you better do it and make better. You know, like you said, it's not just the tone itself is not like, it's not an affirmation, you know. It's not like something you are asking externally. You know, it, is, it is something that you are like a misogy, you know. It's a purification. You're purifying your heart. And, and, um, I think it's really a heart and Absolutely. soul of break and really about our lives. You know, everyone who doesn't want to be happy, who doesn't want to be uh, not having anger and worry and fear and um, I can totally, you know, see, you know, when we uncover, we find ourselves, like, you know, your life, like, I, I'm just still thinking about it, how your life started to change. You have a book within you. It just never came out until <laughs> you, mm. you had all those things that happened in your life. Um, and I think it happens with a lot of people when we get into it, we realize that it's nothing external. It's really within, no matter whether it's crystal or reiki or Buddhist practices, or, you know, kundalini or whatever, you know. Um, and I know in the in your book you also have touch based. Um, you have touch based a lot of things. You have also touch based some um, non traditional reiki branches. Um, you know, like how some, like Kundalini Reiki or Rainbow Reiki or um, just just because not because they are not valid or not valid it, it's just an interpretation in a way, you know, I think different students absolutely uh, gravitate towards different teachers for some reason and then sometimes they change from one teacher to another as well um, depending on the practice. 
So, um, so it's not about good or bad. It's not about it's it, in reality. It's really about what is within you and you are uncovering. So, um, uh, I. And trying to read my scribbles. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. I another thing. I it's it's about the precepts. You know, you, you know, you talked about you know how it is our, um, and I totally see that in my life too. It's how precepts is really like part of your life and how your foundation, your first teacher, you know, really emphasize in your that she also had a cultural um, background. So she was, even though she was not a Buddhist practitioner, she had that energetic connection to that, um, the language for it, and she emphasized how important it is. How, um, how do you um, see Reiki, Reiki and Crystal, and I mean, let's not talk about Crystal, let's not talk about Reiki, as a, as a, as a um, like, how do you see the word interconnectedness, I guess, um, yeah. in all this? Um, because if we really see it, we see that there are just different dots which are really connected together. It's not like, okay, thing just touch this and we got it. Um, uh, and know where I was coming from but what I I guess what I'm just trying to say is that I see it this is very interconnected not mm. very, it's not external it's not a modality very interconnected with our lives if we really truly understand that first we said and then um, uh, understand that intellectually like you said you know you have to say something to your students at one time and right. you know initially they're not they're not gonna just know everything from from day one right um so um i really um i like that that you even though i mean i i'm saying even though that you are you you have you use you teach crystals but you you have so beautifully integrated that aspect that my phone is keep going down the um that aspect that it is not external this is the external thing that see it, but it's not really external. So I really, I really like that. It's very different than what I um, have seen around me here. Right. Um, so that's really beautiful that you have um, uh, connected both of them uh, really nicely. Um, not only your students, but you have explained that in your book as well. And a lot of good. Uh, Research is there for the history and uh, where the symbol has come from. I wanted to tell viewers about it that it's, uh, you know, like somebody, um, I don't remember who was saying, somebody was saying, why there is, there is a book about manual for short and not acute. And I personally think that more books for Reiki, Reiki it will be better it is because I think we don't have enough. Yeah, you know, there there are so many different approaches to um, practicing Reiki. Therefore, there are a lot of different approaches to writing about Reiki and teaching people Reiki. Um, I have to stress that, um, you know, this this is my approach. This is the manual I used to teach, and it, it started 
as a classroom, you know, I, I had the whole thing typed start to finish, although it looked very different than this, um, because it was what I used to teach my students. And we went in the order of that because it was how I conducted my classes. And the, you know, the more I used it in class, the more I finessed that to kind of be um, a little bit more open-ended towards other people's forms of practice. I'd say maybe 80% of the students that I have, um, at least 80%, um, already practice Reiki and are, are taking it from me to, to learn another perspective. So I do my very best to kind of be a bridge between Eastern and Western um, points of view and perspectives, as well as forms of practice. So um, I think what we start to realize through Reiki is that there, there really are no boundaries. There is no other. There is no outer world. These are illusory things, and through our, our practice, and I think through any sincere spiritual practice, whether it is, um, you know, something like Reiki, whether it is something therapeutic like crystals, or whether it is, um, you know, a standard meditation practice, or, um, you know, our religious path, if we're, if we're really devoted to it, we begin to dissolve the barriers that the ego mind projects um, between the true sense of self and the perceived external world. And Reiki has this beautiful way of just weaving it all together with something so simple as just laying hands on the body. And we start to recognize that the Reiki is already there. You know, the initiation is not about redialing your frequency to some mysterious force that's outside of yourself. Um, you know, Takata used the brilliant metaphor that she was the master radio technician and she was fixing your antenna so you could receive Reiki because that's what people were ready for. You know, in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, you know, people would not have accepted a very, very traditional Japanese form of practice and an explanation of what leiju empowerments were. Um, so she, she used the, the skill set that she had as a master storyteller. She used her um, really colorful metaphors to help Reiki thrive in a changing world. And that's something that Reiki has always done. If we look at the origins of the system in the 1920s, and even earlier, before it was a formal practice, before uh, Usui Sensei was walking the earth, Japan was undergoing times of um, rapid transition, and people were losing their sense of personal and collective identity because it was all changing as um, Japan's political borders opened and they began to trade with the Western world and tried their best to resemble the Western world in, in belief and practice. And during this time frame, we have the emergence of the new religious movements, the Shinshukyo, um, literally new sect teachings in Japanese. And um, it, is, it is through this era when people lost their sense of self and their connection to tradition that new religious practices and spiritual practices and new therapeutic approaches through energy medicine began to emerge because it gave people something to help them navigate through changing times. It allowed people to have um, a structure that they could use to find their way back home to source. And, um, you know, Reiki emerged during that time as a non-religious approach to that. And it has thrived because of its ability to lead us through our changing world. And, you know, we see the perfect parallels. Japan going through so much transition um, leading up to, um, you know, the World War and the, the ensuing changes that happened once it concluded. And yet Reiki continued. And it continues today, and our, our own world is changing so much. I think one of the great things about Reiki is that it is an equalizer. It shows us that we're, we're all on the same playing field. And, and 
not even so much that we are just equivalent beings to one another, but ultimately that there's only one of us here. You know, my, my individuality is an illusion. I'm an individuation of source, as are we all. We're all first ideas in the mind of the universe. And an idea never leaves its source. You know, I, I had the idea for this book. I can walk into a bookstore and it's there on a shelf. There's that external illusion that it exists outside of me. But it's still in here. It's still in here. We are all still together, one, unified in the great heart-mind that dreamed the world into existence. And through Reiki, we can have that experience, that raw experience, but only if we show up to practice. And, you know, it doesn't matter what form our practice takes. It only matters that we engage in it. Yeah, that's that's so beautiful. Yeah, it just it's not about exactly. It's not about my Reiki is better than you or whatever. It's about showing up, showing up for yourself. Really. Absolutely. <laughs> so because we're not really doing it for any teacher, anyone, nothing. It's really for us. Um, I actually wanted to quickly maybe if, if uh, we have time. Uh, maybe I, I want to ask you one more thing. It's, uh, it's not Reiki, but I read somewhere, and I know I saw your um, post on Instagram about those teapots. And you have written, you're a tea lover. So is that something, because I love tea too, mm -hmm. but I, I'm assuming that it came from Japan, or was it before? Or um, <laughs> You, you know, it's... Almost as far back as I can remember, I've been a tea drinker. Um, I, I drink coffee when I travel out of necessity because I'll drink bad coffee before I'll drink bad tea. Um, I, I, I worked in the tea industry um, in the retail setting for quite a long time. Um, I definitely appreciated some very good tea when I went to Japan, but I already had a palate for it prior. Um, I think, I think the, the culture of tea in the East is a culture of mindfulness. Um, the history of tea is interwoven with myth, legend, and spirituality all throughout um, Asia at large. Um, and if we look at tea and tea-like beverages throughout the world, they are things that bring communities together, whether it is the, the Roy Bosch, the, the Red Bush tea of South Africa, or the Yerba Mate of uh, South America, or you know, traditional tea, you know, green, black, oolong, um, matcha, whatever it is. Um, it is something that, that helps hearts come together and recognize their inherent unity. And um, I just, you know, even now I'm drinking tea. Um, it's something that I just totally love. So, um, you know, I, I, I think in a world that is very much geared towards instant gratification, when we have to slow down and steep tea, um, or, or whisk together powder in the case of matcha. We, we, we have to like just be present with the hot water and the vessel and the leaf for just a little bit. And um, it, it gives space for spirit to come through. Yeah, so beautiful. I mean, I, I, I just love, and of course, my, my, my culturally, I'm more into chai. Um, Absolutely. And, um, and I'm will be doing a workshop, you know, for, for the spice grinding, because it's, it's, it's so much about not grinding spice, like you said, you know, um, it's, it's just different, just with spices instead of, you know, same thing. It's not about just grinding and just throw everything in. So it's really about mindfulness, and, and it's like, it's about coming together, you know, like, 
drinking chai is like coming together you sit down with your friends your your family and you, you connect it's it's just really a part of our lives in india you know like you have even people who don't drink chai they have to sit there <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so i think it's a, you're right it's it's a, it's a very much a, a very eastern in 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 a way you know um, not in a way it is eastern but i see more so now here as well in in a um investing you know um culture as well but i think we need to it's a reminder to slow down i really like that it's a um um i will maybe i'll use some of what you said in my class i give you're you welcome to <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much oh uh, i um is there anything you want to tell our viewers about um anything whether any message or about your workshop your classes where you teach um and um anything <laughs> that you want to share with us sure um you know i have a really busy teaching schedule coming up this year i'm going to leave florida quite a lot so hopefully i'll be able to connect with a lot of our viewers out there um I'm I'm excited to announce that I'll be speaking at a couple of Reiki conferences in the Northeast. I'll be at the Celebration of Reiki conference in um the Boston area at the end of April. Um later on this year I'll be in Vermont speaking at the Vermont Reiki Association um annual conference. Um and then I've got plenty of other events. So um you'll be able to find all of those in a couple of places. Um I have a a Facebook page that I haven't been as diligent about updating but I'll I'll practice my gyo ohage me my I'll be diligent in my work there um and make sure that's there and that's the luminous pearl t h e you know the luminous pearl um I have a website as well www.theluminouspearl.com we're sensing a theme right and uh you can also check out my publisher's website if you go to innertraditions.com you'll be able to find all of my books um as well as links to interviews and podcasts and other things that I've done um and they do host um schedules of author events so once i get those sent to my publicist they will eventually appear on the website um if you head on over to amazon you can do the same thing i have an author page if you just search nicholas pearson in the bar um you'll find me and i do keep all of my events there as well um but i have some reiki training coming up this weekend in orlando so i'm really excited it's my first reiki training of the year um i can't wait to inspire more people um and so we can all come together in reiki practice um but yeah just stay tuned i i will hopefully be traveling to a city near you um the books are all available everywhere books are sold you can get them directly at my publisher's website you can find them in your local spiritual bookstore barnes and noble if they don't have them on the shelves they can order them for you go to amazon go wherever is convenient for you um and if you enjoy the books please consider reviewing them authors really appreciate that not just me but review all your favorite books um So yeah, that's all I've got for you. Thank you so much for having yeah. me, Sima. Oh, thank you so much for, you know, coming to the show, you know, that which is very new and I'm um I love talking to you and a lot of interest that really I I'm passionate about. I will write all your links and stuff thank um you. this video as well so people can easily find you. And um wish you all the best with all your uh, conferences that you're having there, some really nice ones. um and maybe i will post the link for the celebration of reiki one or warman to people who like listen to you so thank you so much and you have thank a wonderful thank you for having me and we can good luck with everything <laughs> thank you Thanks.
थैंक्स Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lol. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.